1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to begin at verse 13, and we're going to go all the way uh, through the end of the chapter, verse 18. When we did an introduction to this book of the Thessalonians several weeks ago, I talked about how there is a huge emphasis in uh, the letters to the Thessalonians about the return of Christ. We've heard that already. We've seen it taught throughout the book already, but it's this morning's passage that really, really, really gets to it. It is about the coming of Jesus, the return of Christ, the second coming. It's about Jesus coming back to get those who are trusting in him. This is a big passage. I dare say this is the most well-known passage in all of the letters to the Thessalonians, right? This is one that we need to be ready for. But we have to understand the Bible in context. We're not just here hoping for a good message. We're not just here for some inspiration. We're here to understand what God has said. And it's this passage in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, that really needs to be understood in context. There is some concern in the Thessalonian church about the believers that have already died. If the great hope of the church is the return of Christ to get us, and that is our hope, right? We've talked often about how the Bible ends with, surely I am coming soon, Jesus says, right? And we love the phrase Maranatha, which means come Lord Jesus, right? We are longing for Christ's return. We can't wait for that, right? This is our hope. This is our hope. And so, what about those that have already died? What's their hope? Have they missed it? Will they miss out on that? And you probably already know the answer to that because you've read 1 Thessalonians 4, but before people had read 1 Thessalonians 4, they lived out 1 Thessalonians 4, and that's what we are studying here this morning. Let me remind you that when people pass away, concern comes about that we perhaps had not been concerned about before. I get to do a lot of funerals, funerals for loved ones and church members, and I get to do a lot of funerals for people that I've never met. Funeral starts at one o'clock, I walk in the funeral home at noon, meet with people I've never seen before in my life, they give me a quick rundown on the person, and then we start the service. I have no idea whether they knew the Lord or not. I have no idea whether they died and went to heaven or died and went to hell. I have no idea. We just do the funeral service. And it raises the question of, wonder who they really were, what they were really like. I wonder what they really believed. But no way for me to know, really. But I'll never forget one time, this was a couple years ago, I walked into the funeral home, met with the family. We kept it simple, short and sweet. I still had about 30 minutes left for the service to begin. It was at that time that a granddaughter who was, you know, older, she was 30, 40 years old, so I'm not talking about a little child. A granddaughter finds me and pulls me aside, and there's tears running down her face, and she said, can we step aside and talk for a minute? And I said, yeah. We went over there, and with tears rolling down her face, she said, can you tell me where my grandpa is right now? Because I really need to know. And I'm not sure that he's in heaven with God. She was concerned, and it was good for her to be concerned. But I want you to know something right now in a day where it is 
not cool to be concerned. You ought to be concerned before they die. You need to be concerned right now while they're still alive. You need to be concerned about the salvation of our souls. You need to be concerned about the eternity in which we will be forever. It's good to be concerned for people. It is the most loving way to be. Now, when you hear that, please, and you know our heart, and you know the way we love and serve around here. It's not the only way to be loving and serving. We will lay down our lives, give you the shirt off our back, give you the money out of our pocket, and give you the food in our church. We will love and serve in every way that we can possibly love and serve. We don't only talk around here. We talk and walk, because that's what Jesus did. He lived a life that showed he meant what he said. We are to do that as well. But as we do that, while we proclaim, or while we love and serve, as our mission statement says, we also proclaim. We are concerned about where you will go when you die. We are concerned about your soul and your salvation and your eternal life. This passage gets at that, but that's not exactly what this passage is about. Is about. This passage is not about people that die. This passage, in its context, is about believers that die. Don't miss that. Because the return of Christ is so absolutely central to the teaching of God, the return of Jesus through the sky to save us, because it is so important and because that is our hope, the Thessalonians had become worried about those that had already died. Will they miss out on that? Will they be stuck here seemingly in the grave through whatever else comes? And then how will that end? Because the Bible doesn't say that much about that. That was their concern. And Paul answers back by giving them great comfort. Read with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. What a passage. This is a great passage. This is a good, old-fashioned, long time ago, biblical, truthful, God word passage. And it is full of the doctrine and teachings that Christians believe. 
And in our day, it seems like Christians more and more are trying to become good people with godly inspiration without all the details of what God says is true. And this passage will not let us be like that. We are people that believe this book because God gave this book to us years ago. And we are people who live our lives now based off what this book says. Whether they think we're funny or silly or don't take us serious or not, this is the message from God and we believe it. It is loaded with gospel truth, gospel doctrine. The gospel is the good news about Christ coming to be the savior of the world, that a holy God loves sinful people and that sinful people against a holy God are in trouble and separated from God. And so God in his love has sent his son Jesus to be the answer for our sin problem, be the answer for the world. And you and I must respond with belief, with faith, with repentance and trust Christ. Jesus died for us is the gospel. And all of that is loaded up in our short passage today. I'm going to give you three points this morning. And the first is that the gospel informs. The gospel that informs. The second is the gospel that saves. And the third is the gospel that comforts. The gospel that informs, the gospel that saves, and the gospel that comforts. Number one, the gospel that informs. We have information from God. We call that truth. Verse 13, if you look in the Bible, chapter 4, verse 13 says, but we do not want you to be uninformed. We want you to be informed. They're not to be in the dark about these things. This is not one of the areas that we say, well, we'll just have to wait till we get to heaven to figure that one out, right? Because there are several things in life that we can't wait to get to heaven to get the answer on, right? But where dead believers are and what will happen to them is not one of those. We are informed on this. They were concerned before they got this letter, but ever since then, the saints of God, the people of God, the living church that we are has been informed. The gospel informs us. It says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Asleep is a simple way of referring to people who have died. It's not just a Christian thing. You find this throughout history. Lots of different people talk like this. That once somebody has died, they are just uh, uh, described as being asleep. The Bible does it a lot, actually. We don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep. We want you to be informed and verse 13 says that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So the church was concerned about the believers that have already died. If Christ is going to return, they will miss out on that. And so what, what will happen to them and how will that go down? And he says, don't grieve the way unbelievers grieve. You grieve with hope. We have ideas, we have information, we have understanding, we have truth about those specific situations, and we are hopeful. Because of God's word, we have information on a lot of things. We have truthful information. And I hope that you have become somebody who says, I know God, and I know his book, and I want to know what the Bible says about lots of things. What does the Bible say about giving? 
Bible says a lot about it. What does the Bible say about sex? Bible says a lot about it. What does the Bible say about work ethic? Bible says a lot about it. What does the Bible say about dinosaurs? Well, we saw through Job that the Bible says some stuff about it, right? We can go to the Bible about lots of things. What does the Bible say about stars? Says a lot about stars. What does the Bible say about music? Says a lot about music, right? What does the Bible say about sports? Believe it or not, it talks about sports, right? The Bible is God's book, truthful information to us, and we are to understand these things based off of this. It matters to us. We have truthful information. But this passage says that we have truthful information about death, about grief, about hope, about a Savior, about the salvation that God offers, about the end of the world, and about encouragement. Information from God about these subjects. May we not be those who are walking around grieving like everybody else because we just don't know, because we're so confused, or because we don't have answers, or you'll never be able to figure it out. No, we have information here, and we get it from God, and the gospel is what is informing us. Even specifically, this little passage is helping with us. And since we have truthful information about this, there are some conclusions that we can draw based off the information. We grieve differently. We do. We grieve differently. As we see with Jesus when Lazarus had died, the death of Lazarus didn't really bother Jesus that much. He was fine to show up late. You remember that? And when his sisters were so upset, like, if you would have gotten here, you could have kept him alive. Jesus says, he's going to live. And they're like, well, you know, maybe he's going to live in the last day or something like that forever and eternity, whatever. But he could be alive. And Jesus says, whoever believes in me lives. Even though he dies. He changes it. He understands it bigger and better. And so grief to us is different because we have the hope of eternal life in Christ. Now, do we grieve when an unbeliever passes away and we think through, should we have said more? Could we have done more? Absolutely. But this passage is not about that. You make your own applications on that today and how more of a witness you need to be and how much more of a risk taker you need to be and how much more bold you need to be and how much courage you need to be and how much you need to go and sacrifice because time's running out. You make those own applications today. Today's passage is about believers that die. We grieve differently. We know where they are. We know the promises. We know eternal life is what you get the moment you trust in Christ. We know that the judgment of God has been escaped. We've passed it because of Christ. We grieve differently. We grieve differently because of this hope. We have hope. We know that the love of God is so grasping. It is such a strength of holding on to us that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We have hope. But not everybody is this way. One commentator was quoting the ancient Greek prophet, ancient Greek poet Theocritus when he says this, talking about the widespread sense of hopelessness in the Greco-Roman world concerning life after death. Hope and hopes are for those that are living. 
the dead have no hope. There's a lot of people that think that way. In your homes and around your meals and with our family members, we hear people talk that way. I ain't going to worry about it. Once I'm gone, once I'm gone, I'm gone. I ain't going to matter then. And people talk like the end is just the end. The Bible won't let us be that way. It won't let us believe that way. We have information. We have truthful information that says to be absent from the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. There was a great promise to a criminal thief sinner on the cross that today you will be with me in paradise. The Bible does not say you will end up nowhere. It'll be void. It'll just be all dark. You'll be gone and forgotten. No, it doesn't. The Bible teaches us that once we die, we are to be somewhere. And the salvation that Christ gives is the hope for us when we die. There is hope. Because of this gospel that informs, we grieve differently. We have hope. We are encouraged. As this passage ends, and it'll be my third point at verse 18, therefore encourage one another with these words. All of this is because of the information of God's truth that we believe. The gospel that informs, which means... We need to be people who are informed. We need to be people who are informing others. We need to be sharing truth and living out truth and helping people understand truth. We need to be people who understand that we have to come to know this information, this truth. Now, there's a tendency for us to get sidetracked there and think, well, this is all about knowledge. When that happens, all of a sudden a pride and arrogance comes often to believers who think it's great to be uh, overly academic or intellectual, that this is more of a head game than it is a heart game, and it is not, not at all. The Bible warns and cautions against those that knowledge puffs up. This is not more and more information and more and more information, and the more you know, the better. It's not that. But it is, there's some things we must know. There are some things we must know. We can read the Bible and know these things. We can go to church and hear these things taught. We can grow up in families that are going to teach us this truth. But there is some information that we need to know. And you and I need to believe that we need to know it. We need to be about sharing this information. This is the heart behind Romans 10 when it asks these questions. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? This information must be known. It must be shared. It must be sent out. We want people to be informed of the gospel, that Jesus is their Savior, that died on the cross for their sins if they will repent and turn to him. Billy Graham once said that the greatest act of love that we can ever perform for people is to tell them about God's love for them in Christ. There are lots of ways to love and serve people, but perhaps the greatest way is to tell them. On small little situations like a deal at the store or traffic that's blocking the road, right? You've had somebody tell you information before and you say, I am so glad that you told me. Man, I'd have been stuck in that traffic for hours, but thanks for letting me know I went around. Or thanks for telling me about that sale they had down at the store. Man, I went and bought five of them. We love when somebody gives us 
good, helpful information. And so it's true about the good news of Jesus, but it ought to haunt us a little bit as well to think that there might be anybody who would say, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you slow me down? Why didn't you try to stop me? Why didn't you tell me? The gospel that informs is to cause us to hope in Christ. Several years ago, there was a commercial on TV by Mercedes-Benz. They were demonstrating how their car had become so incredibly safe with this new engineering. And it was a, it was a video of a Mercedes-Benz driving 40 miles per hour and going 40 miles per hour straight into a wall. Mercedes was boasting that the car had been built so well, so safely, that even a 40-mile-an-hour crash, the person would not get injured. Amazing, really. And it was such good uh, advanced technology, this was several years ago, it was so good that now all kinds of other car makers were copying it, doing the same thing. Cars were getting safer. And in the commercial... Somebody walks up to the engineer and says, why have you guys not patented this? All the other car makers are doing the same thing y'all are doing. And in the commercial, he looks to the guy asking the question and he says, some things are too important not to share. If this car design will save lives and lots of lives? How dare somebody keep it to themselves just to make money? If this information that caused me to lift my hands and sing as loud as I could this morning, that caused me to get up this morning when I was tired to get here, if this risen Lord Jesus who is worthy of our worship can change any life out there, some things are too important not to share. The gospel that informs. But secondly, the gospel that saves. And this is just outstanding, the direction that Paul goes here. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, and so he goes into verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. What an answer. The question is, what about believers that have died? We're worried about it. They're going to miss the return of Christ. And Paul goes into one of the most absolutely most comforting statements in the whole Bible. It is filled with Jesus and it is filled with hope for those who are connected to Jesus by faith, both dead and alive. What an answer. All of the worry out there in the world about the difference between being alive when Christ returns or being dead when Christ returns has been put to rest, has been settled and calmed down by this passage right here. This is the passage right here that lets us know the dead in Christ will rise first. Amen. 
If we are alive when Christ returns, we will not beat them in the air to Christ for the dead get to go first. It's like a higher honor, it seems, to have finished the race, to have finished your life holding on to salvation in Christ, and they will be there with us. We will all meet Christ in the air. It will be this great, big, awesome reunion. But I want you to see how absolutely strong Paul comes with the gospel that saves, with his answer to this question. And I want to challenge you about the way we talk about death and funerals and the loss of loved ones. I want to challenge you with this. The question here is about people that have died, and all Paul can think about is Jesus and all that he's done. Think about this. Since we believe that Jesus died, since we believe that Jesus rose again, then through him, everything he's about to do in the future based off believers is based off of that. The salvation that Christ gives, the death, burial, and resurrection, the fact that he is alive is what shapes all of our thinking. When we walk into funeral homes, when we see caskets, when we visit cemeteries, our minds should be shaped by the fact that God so loved the world that he sent his son, that he died on the cross, that they buried him in the grave, and the tomb is empty. He's alive now. And that is the way we think through everything. The gospel informs because the gospel saves. We are thinking about our Savior in everything. It changes our thoughts on everything. It changes the way we see people. It changes the way we think about loved ones and struggle and hurt and loss. It changes things. And then he gets real detailed. He says, those who have fallen asleep, he will bring with them. I'm just going to walk you through this. Verse 15, by a word from the Lord, we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not, everybody see that, it's the end of verse 15, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. No advantage to the ones who are still alive. They're not going before. They're not going before. Those who are dead, not gonna be left behind, forgotten, overlooked, nope. Verse 16, the Lord himself will descend from heaven. And then it's got these three like signals I'm sure you know these already, but in verse 16, there are three signals. A cry of command, the voice of an archangel, and the sound of the trumpet of God. A cry, an angelic voice, and a trumpet sound. God's trumpet. The trumpet of God. And when that happens, the dead in Christ will rise first. So, whenever that time comes, if you're out riding your bicycle or mowing the, gra- mowing the grass or asleep at night or walking the dog or doing the dishes and all of a sudden you hear a trumpet and then a scream, a cry, and then an angelic voice, don't think you're about to beat the dead anywhere, but be prepared, you're about to see the dead. but you're not gonna see the dead dead. You're gonna see your believing loved ones alive. They will rise first. You'll hear the three signals. The dead will be alive. You will see them. And look at verse 17. Then we who are alive, who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so 
we will always be with the Lord. Can you imagine being the stressed out Thessalonian church thinking, what about our believing people that have already died and getting this letter? I imagine people just standing up as it's being read out loud in their church service. I imagine like clapping. I imagine some high fives. I imagine comfort, like comfort never before, a a settling in the heart, just an absolute peace of God overcoming about the glorious salvation that comes with Christ and what it's going to be like when Christ returns. This is the gospel that saves These few verses are loaded with truth about Jesus, the order, the way things are going to go down. He came, he died, he rose again, he's coming back. When he comes back, here's what all is going to happen. What a comfort that is. The issue here is death of believers, the return of Christ, and uniting with the Lord forever in heaven. That is our salvation. These are the subjects he is discussing. This is the work of Christ, the gospel that saves. This is our hope. This is the way we think about living and dying. This is the way we think about sinning and obeying and disobeying. This truth right here shapes all of that. And it is true that through coming to know this information of the gospel, you can be saved. The Thessalonians were saved because the missionaries had traveled there. They had preached this gospel, these truths. See, here's what's neat to think about. Remember, we've mentioned several times that they weren't in Thessalonica very long. There's sometimes the book of Acts tells us they stayed in places for a long time, years even, like Ephesus. But in Thessalonica, they got run out really quickly, and it seems they're only there for a couple of weeks. So what had they taught and what had they not taught? Well, they knew about the death of Christ. They knew about the burial of Christ. They knew about the resurrection of Christ. And they knew about the return of Christ. Because what they were worried about, right, was the return of Christ being great for those that were still alive, but they were worried sick over those who had already died. So isn't that cool to think about? In the mission's effort, in the book of Acts, as the missionaries, Paul and them who had traveled to Thessalonica, they had covered a lot of things. They had. I mean, I don't know how many sermons they taught. Acts says they went to the synagogue on three straight Saturdays. So there's at least three long days of just working through truth with people. But maybe it was more. Maybe they were, you know, having dinner together and talking and all that. But at least three good sessions. They knew about Christ being the fulfillment of the Old Testament. They knew about the salvation, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the return. But nobody had taught them this right here that we're reading. Y'all, what a privilege we have to live in this day. So many Christians hate the day that we're living in because it is so unsettled. But guess what? I think life's always unsettling. And we are living now on this side of the New Testament. And so we've never been worried about those who are dead. We're not. They were. We're not. We're reading 1 Thessalonians 4 going, man, I can't wait for that day. And all of your loved ones that you miss because they hope in Christ and they've already died and they're buried and you know where they're buried. Guess what? If Christ comes back while we're still alive, you're going to see them and unite with them in the air. And if you happen to die before he comes back, guess what? You'll be one of those coming out with them, uniting in the air. We will see them again. That's what this is about. It's awesome. The gospel that saves But they knew some things from all of the missionary travel and the discipleship they had been through, but there were some they didn't. So they're getting more information through this letter. 
I just want to read a couple of passages, though, that speak directly to God that saves. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He uses that word, saved. It's the gospel. And even in that verse, you have to confess. Jesus has to be Lord to you. You have to believe in your heart. You have to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And believing that God raised him from the dead means that you believe that he died. See, it's the gospel that informs and it's the gospel that saves. Titus chapter 3 says it like this. This is a little bit longer, but listen. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, listen to this, he saved us. That very phrase is in Titus 3. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. The Savior saved us. And it's the gospel that gives us this information that we then trust, believe, repent of our sins, and are saved. Are you saved? I remember when I got saved. My life has been completely changed. The way I think about marriage and the way I think about my wife and the way I think about parenting and the way I think about my kids and the way I think about who I am and keeping my word and the way I think about life has been absolutely, totally changed by the salvation that God has done in me. Y'all, there was a time in my life where I wasn't thinking about Jesus all the time. There was a time in my life where I came to know Christ and I asked God to forgive me of my sins and I prayed to God that he would save me and Christ became Lord of my life. And now, years later, I am still living and being shaped by it. He saved me. He also saved the Thessalonians. And he is informing them about how to think through death of believers. But it's not just an out there subject. Okay, well, now we're going to talk about death. He talks about death based off of the gospel. Well, he literally says, so picture, concern comes from Timothy. Hey, they're doing great. But they're, they're really worried about the believers that have already died. And he literally says, well, since Jesus died... Since Jesus rose, since Jesus is coming back, here's how we think about death. It's the gospel that's shaping everything. Since Jesus lived, since Jesus died, since Jesus rose, should be our formulative thinking on everything. Start having that conversation. The next time anything comes up, well, since he lived, since he died, since he rose again, here's how we're going to think about this. Since he lived, since he died, since he rose again, and since he's going to return, here's how we're going to think about this. 
The return of Jesus is shaping everything in the life of the Thessalonian church. It's informing them, it's saving them, and then lastly, it is comforting them. Amen. It is true that we struggle to find comfort. It is. We struggle to find comfort. It's true. You and I know people right now who cannot find peace. We're unsettled. We're distracted big time, big time distracted. We can't find comfort. And when it is time for us to be comforted and we cannot find comfort, it hurts badly. It hurts really badly. See, there is a way that we can kind of not think about it and just keep ourselves busy and do lots of things and kind of ignore the idea that we need comfort. But when it comes time for us to need comfort and we cannot find comfort, that's a bad place to be. It's a bad spot to be in. They were worried about believers that have died missing the return of Christ. That's the context. And Paul tells them all that Christ has done and what Christ will do when he returns and how the dead will meet the current, the living believers in the air together. Verse 17 says, and so we will always be with the Lord. Together, verse 17 says, and so he makes this conclusion in verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Some of your translations say comfort. Encourage can kind of sometimes be give courage. We've talked about that a lot. Give courage to somebody. And encourage can sometimes be comfort. Strengthen in sadness. Strengthen in weakness. Some translations use the word here, comfort. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And I bet the Thessalonians were comforted. And it's the gospel that comforts. I want to encourage you and challenge you to be a believer that is comforted by the truth of God. I want you to be a believer of the word of God that is comforted by this. Several weeks ago, we had a lady show up here at church and she was visiting. I knew her and she lived in the community. She'd not come to church many times, maybe once or twice before. And she was an older lady and she was here and she was visiting. I was glad to see her. I went back there and talked to her. And a couple days later in the week, I texted her family member and I said, Hey, what do you think of church? And they said, Well, to be honest, I didn't do anything for her. She said she wasn't very inspired. That happens sometimes, doesn't it? That happens a lot, doesn't it? You know what I wanted to say back? She wasn't supposed to be inspired. She was supposed to believe. Did she believe it? Did she walk out of here flat and uninspired and didn't really like it that much? Believing? Did she believe it? He's alive, he died, he rose again, he's coming back. Does she believe that? That's where the comfort's found, folks. The comfort's not ultimately found in the hug that you get this morning. We're not even supposed to hug now. We got hand sanitizer at every corner because we're not even supposed to shake hands. 
The comfort's not found in those things, although they are comforting at times. But the comfort is much bigger and much more lasting than that. The comfort is that any day now, this sky will open up with three signals, a cry, an angelic voice, and a trumpet, and he's coming back to get you. Don't you remember that sermon where I did the intro and I talked about your mom coming to pick you up after basketball practice? Remember that? He said, man, she ain't coming. And everybody making fun of you like, man, your ride ain't coming, your ride ain't coming. And then when that car pulls up and you're like, I knew she wasn't going to forget me. Same thing here. He is coming back. And whether you're dead or alive, if you're in Christ by faith, he's going to get you. That should comfort you. This is not about how good the pep talk was this morning to get you through another week. This is about your God loves you and sent his son to die for you and he's coming back to get you. Hold the rope. Don't give up. Keep believing. This comforts us. R.C. Sproul writes, this presentation here in 1 Thessalonians 4 is pastoral. It's to comfort those grieved by and confused by the death of beloved Christians. The assurance that all the righteous, without distinction, will be with the Lord forever and united at the coming of Christ is the burden of this passage. Listen to this. The cry, the voice, and the trumpet of verse 16 give the distinct impression that the rapture will be public and not secret. He calls it pastoral. This is good for our soul. This comforts us. It comforts us. Commentator Green takes it a little bit further. This teaching was presented to comfort those in grief by connecting the confession of the creed, Jesus died and rose again, with the reality of the resurrection of the dead in Christ. This is not the stuff of speculative prophecy or bestsellers on the end times. The text is located at the funeral home, the memorial service, or the graveside. It is placed in the hands of each believer to comfort others in their time of greatest sorrow. The decidedly bizarre pictures of airplanes dropping out of the sky and cars careening out of control as the rapture happens detract from the hope that this passage is designed to teach. The picture presented here is of the royal coming of Jesus Christ. The church as the official delegation goes out to meet him with the dead heading up the procession as those most honored. One coming is envisioned, which will unite the coming king with his subjects. What a glorious hope. There's comfort in the gospel of Christ. There is comfort in knowing the truth about it, and so we must be informed. But there is comfort. In the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Blessed are those that mourn for they will be comforted. It's a weird one, isn't it? Some of the Beatitudes are just, make sense. But some of your translations say blessed means happy. Happy are those that mourn. Seems a bit much, doesn't it? Blessed are those that mourn. What are you mourning over? Well, I just lost a loved one. Death has just happened. But they will be comforted. Well, what comforts at death? I think that is the most important question in all of life. What comforts in death? There are not a lot of good answers to that. And everybody you know is trying to find a good one. And that false comfort doesn't last. The comfort is in the finished work of Christ. And 
that he died for your sins, that he loves you with a love that is better than life, and that nothing can snatch you out of his hands and nothing can separate you from that love. And that loving Savior has not forgotten you. He will not forget you. He is returning to take you to heaven with him. When people, ask, when people die or pass away, we use this phrase, we lost them, right? Sorry about your loss. We lost another loved one. We lost another church member. And I get it. I say that same thing. But remember, this passage here is not about the lost. It's about believers that have died. When something is lost, that means you do not know where it is. I can't find it. This passage wants us to know that we know exactly where they are and we know exactly what will happen to them. They may have passed away, but we have not lost them in the sense of them being not to be found. Maybe our loss and that we don't have them here with us anymore, but if they are a believer in Christ, we know that he is coming back and their dead bodies will be raised to be with him and us together forever with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. When it comes time for you to pass away, may you be comforted because you know the Savior. When it comes time for you to pass away, may everybody around you be comforted because they know that you know the Savior. May you believe in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel that informs, that saves, and comforts. Thank you, God, for how the New Testament is written so good for us. And we can just walk through a little book like Thessalonians and hear subjects addressed that we haven't heard addressed ever or in such a long time. God, thank you for this one particular little issue of what about believers that have died? Are they gonna miss the return of Christ? Father, I pray that you would inform us, save us, and comfort us. Oh God, help us to believe. God, thank you that because of your love and salvation through Christ, we can be comforted both now and forever. In Christ's name we pray, amen.